I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that we'll be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Amy Jessel. Amy is the founder of shapingyouth.org and has created a book series called Digital Dogs to help kids navigate the ever-changing influences of the digital landscape. The first book in the series is called The Secret of the Vanishing Bones, Tracking the Data Trail. So much to learn today. Oh, you're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. And oh, but, but, by the way, it would be so cool if you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching Learning Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use, and my Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well... Use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Amy Jessel, the founder of Shaping Youth, has authored a first-of-its-kind children's book series building on her national media literacy education expertise to embed digital savvy into K-5 storytelling. With screen time doubled via online learning, now more than ever critical thinking skills specific to Media and devices are necessity to help kids navigate the ever-changing influences of the digital landscape. The first book in the series, The Secret of the Vanishing Bones, Tracking the Data Trail, centers around data privacy as a playful pack of pups sleuth, sniff around, and dig deeper into questions about media messages 
and the technology being used. Readers build core inquiry habits and develop digital detective skills while solving the mystery. Unlike any other in the kid-lit genre, each book embeds both digital and media literacy into the storyline, so kids develop the ability to detect, discern, and reflect on the media coming their way, instilling healthy, habit-forming questioning of all content. Who made this and why? What does this want me to think about? Why does this site know what I like already? Through subtle, seamless storytelling, kids pick up life skills and tech tips, raising awareness of media and influences online and off. I strongly feel media literacy should be taught in every classroom as early as kindergarten, but we can't wait around for that legislation, Jessel said. Informal learning through stories, activities, and hands-on fun gets us there faster. Whether it's delivered by parents, educators, siblings, or a read-aloud group, kids need these inquiry skills yesterday. Amy spent over 20-plus... Would that be one of the digital dogs? We... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> nice. It is. <laughs> that was uh -oh. funny. Great timing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, sound effects. Sound it's effects. sound effects. I like that. <laughs> and, and, and they are free. <laughs> nice. Amy spent over 20 plus years as a writer, producer in print, broadcast, and film. Uh, cable, travel documentaries for Reader's Digest, Sunset Films, etc. She began in television news writing for the ABC affiliate in Honolulu, KITV. Rope produced a public affairs radio show at KCSB Santa Barbara Women's Radio Forum, freelance for international media magazines and print pubs, Condé Nast and uh, uh, Mademoiselle as a guest editor program, and shifted into advertising to become an award-winning copywriter and creative director. She opened her own business, Copy Concepts, in 1984. Amy Jessel was honored to represent the United States as one of the chosen delegates for women leaders for the world in 2007 through the Global Women's Leadership Network, GWLN.org earn a coveted global semifinalist spot for the Echoing Green Fellowship in 2008, contributed as an author in the three-book Global Collaboration Age of Conversation series to benefit Variety, the children's charity, and a guest contribution to the new 2014 release Redefining Girly, How Parents Can Fight the Stereotyping and Sexualizing of Girlhood from Birth to Tween. Amy, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Good morning. Well, glad to have you here. Uh, so, Amy, let's start by talking about what convinced you that it was important to pursue teaching kids skills in media literacy. I, I really feel that um, media literacy is important for all ages. And I, I think the big point of differentiation for me is that, A, media literacy isn't being taught in schools uh, formally. If anything, it's sort of an adjunct um, add-on or a project basis. It's not being taught uh, multidisciplinary in that interdependent way that we need it to be taught. So at some point, I'm hoping that it will be mandated because it's a 21st century uh, critical thinking skills. You, if you don't have media literacy, you can't make sense of any of these messages coming at you. Um, and and my, the book itself is dialing down the, the uh, age group, really, because most of the more formal media literacy sessions, if, if classrooms even have them, uh, started about middle school and on up to high school, and they get sophisticated in that regard. Canada has a really good one, and Media Smarts, and Common Sense Media has some digital citizenship and cyber civics and things like that. But really, nothing in the K through five. And I'm finding that K through five is critical because kids are being given phones earlier and earlier. Um, in fact, Pew Research Report just had a thing where. Uh, one in five kids under 11 already had a smartphone. So we, we need to be targeting them younger and getting the media literacy and critical thinking embedded in their learning really early on. 
Most definitely. And that's some scary stuff right there. Having a phone at <laughs> those ages. Oh, my gosh. It's, it, wow. It, <laughs> you know, it's uh, sorry. I just kind of flash back to the, the phones that I had when I was a teenager. You know, they were stuck yes. on the wall <laughs> so, or in, in a pay phone someplace. So. <laughs> Yes. Well, it changes everything. You have you have uh, you know digital drama in your pocket now, and that that starts at a really early age. And those influencers are in your pocket, whether it's a peer to peer group, whether it's commercial entity, whether it's a corporation trying to get you to buy their snack food. You know, it we have to dial it down to K through five, and and I think middle school is way too late. I <laughs> think we need to start early, and I'm. I mean, I even did coloring pages for pre-K, which which sounds way out there, but <laughs> I don't think so because um, these kids are learning to swipe and click and uh, pinch and you know expand before they can read, and and that's key. Yeah, that's you're so right. I mean, I, I see kids all the time with the phones, and they're using them with all kinds of stuff, and they're online. They're not just playing games, or you know, they're not just doing the stuff that's isolated to that phone. And even then, there's stuff from the phone itself keeping track of what they like and what they don't like. So, yeah, I think this is very important. Uh, one of the things, I mean, you have a background in writing, film, and broadcast media. What did you learn about how messages are shaped and marketed in those industries? Wow. Well, I, I think that's actually one of my um, core media literacy skills is I learned really young, actually, even when I was interning at KITV and television news, um, they kept wanting to put me in front of the camera and I'm a behind the scenes gal. I was like, you know, I'm a researcher, I'm a writer. And they kept trying to push me out in front and put a microphone in my hand. And I realized they were trying to use me in a different capacity from a visual capacity, which was really interesting. Um, it was in Hawaii and I think they needed, uh, they needed some female representation. They needed, you know, uh, they needed someone to, to fill that spot. The other thing is the stories they would they would send me on and and some of the visual representations that journalism um, evoked really had me end my career in TV news pretty fast because, um, for instance, um, in back in the day in Hawaii, they would burn cane fields for um, for sugar cane and things like that. We don't even have sugar cane over there anymore from a harvest standpoint in the same way. But it was not a big deal. I mean, to me, burning sugarcane, unless um, unless there was a body in that sugarcane, there's no story there. But they <laughs> they would send me out to, to film footage of the fire and this and that. It's like, but there's nothing here. There's no story here. And I, I think that became my first, um, there's nothing here. There's no there there. And I realized that uh, everything in media is a construct. And for them, there may be no story there, but they could talk about a different story and show that exciting fire behind them. You know, <laughs> so nice. It, nice. It's, it's, yeah, those are the kind of things that we need to impart to kids is every every show, every cereal box, every T-shirt, everything is a construct and you need to be looking at it with fresh eyes. So important. So important. No, and by the way, as a former high school principal who was in areas where uh, uh, there was lots of news media. <laughs> I know exactly the type of thing. It's like those those pictures didn't go together. They took that one over here and put that together with this story. Nice. <laughs> you know, so, excellent. Yeah. So I get a feel yeah. to talking about. <laughs> hey, uh, you've created a series of children's books called Digital Dogs. The age group is K through five. Uh, what's your overall focus and hope that you will be able to achieve with Digital Dogs? 
Well, I, I'm starting again, really young and K through five, again, sounds very, very young. And I would even go K through two for this book itself, because I think uh, the illustrations are playful. Even the coloring pages are pre-K. Like I said, those are all free on digitaldogsbook.com. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I feel the older kids, grades three through five, can help the younger kids, K through two. Um, I did some testing, focus group testing, because of course I did. I'm a former advertising person. <laughs> and I found that the older kids really um, loved being empowered by helping the younger kids and vice versa. The, the younger kids looked up to the older kids. And so when they could impart some of these lessons to them in sort of a peer-to-peer manner, it held more weight than sort of the sage on the stage teachers teaching them in the same way. And, and that's, that's a transferable skill when it comes to parents and, and working at home, uh, particularly in the pandemic, um, a lot of homeschooling going on, a lot of online learning. Some of those older siblings can be helping those younger siblings navigate the media morass. It's, it's really key that they do because they're, they're actually getting onto some of these apps when they shouldn't be already. And the older siblings need to be able to kind of teach the younger siblings like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not really for you, but here's, here's what we're doing here. And like TikTok, everybody loves TikTok and there's nothing wrong with the kids looking at the TikTok, but if they're on it on free play, that's a whole different story. When you're, when you're in a K through five level, you can end up with some algorithms and go down some rabbit holes that you just shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing. So, so all of that I feel is enmeshing digital literacy with media literacy together. And I know that academics like to kind of separate the two, digital literacy being more about the tech and understanding online and learning how to navigate that, whereas media literacy is more about the inquiry and the construction itself. But I think at this point, we're kind of part and parcel and need to discuss both. Oh, I think it's just very important, and it's it's awesome to put them together because otherwise the kids kind of separate them, and they 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 don't seem to be the same. And uh, you know that just it, all you got to do is uh, work with kids long enough, and and I have over thirty four years, and it's like uh, you you. And by the way, adults do this too. I don't mean to make it sound like just kids do this, but you know, you, did they actually hear what I said? No, <laughs> no, they, they got a different interpretation. So combining them, I think, is so important because it's. It, if you separate them, then they start seeing it as separate topics, and they're really not, not, not in this world that we have. You know, it's it's interesting because um, it, it, as we talk about this, it makes me think about some of the subliminal messaging and, and not so subliminal messaging that I grew up with, but it was, it was, you know, you didn't connect with it different other ways, except that it was just there. So they tried to find you in your world, like sitting on Saturday watching cartoons, and in between you might have um, you know, Smokey the Bear, or you might have some advertisement, some PSA from the government about, uh, you know, this is what your brains look like on drugs type of thing, or, <laughs> you know, there's any number of things. My my all-time favorite was, uh, um, I think it was Hootie the Owl, Hootie the Owl, I think was his name. Anyway, it was a conservation effort, and they were talking about not polluting, and uh, um, th- those, uh, but all that stuff was, it, it was isolated to you know, you had to be in front of the TV and it was in between or it was even connected to the cartoons and stuff. And today, if they carry around their a phone and they're just flipping through everything and taking it wherever it goes. Yeah. They got, they Very got much a, so. And, and actually, I just read a thing to, to your point about um, trying to put PSAs into things. I mean, it, it can be used for really good ways, but there are also some interesting, um, again, a, a thing around critical 
thinking that I'd really like parents and educators to think about is what next? You know, when you're looking at smart speakers, for instance, I know a lot of people are starting to use them in their classrooms. Um, and, and what will happen there in terms of um, the algorithms or what the interests are and, and all those things. There's been some discussion about whether, for instance, if you buy something on Amazon, um, they're saying that if you say if you bought a candle, for instance, or a um, thing of matches, that you could then be served um, some sort of a public service announcement talking about fire and, you know, have you done your fire safety and this and that? I'm like, wow, okay, nice. this is getting really yes. embedded in <laughs> all kinds of, we know what you bought, so therefore we're going to serve you this. And I think the more we can teach kids really early on that every click and every action they take is very granular and it all can end up feeding back into this digital paw print um, that they've got on life. And I, I did choose the dogs for that reason because they're very non-threatening and very um, universally liked. And um, we are leaving little paw prints all over the, the, the landscape. Oh, it, the imagery fits very well, very well. And uh, we'll talk a little bit in your illustrations and such because they're really cool. But, the, uh, but yeah, that imagery fits very well. So, it, you know, the National Association for Media Literacy Education. Now, in a lot of acronyms, we, we say them. Do you say this one? Is it? Namely, or something like that? Or? Namely. Mm-hmm. Namely. Oh, cool. So, uh, so the National Association for Media Literacy Education, Namely, has a grid that summarizes some of the key questions we should all ask ourselves when evaluating media messages. Could you talk about the lack of understanding of these key questions and a little bit about why efforts should be made to make sure the kids and adults understand how to analyze this messaging? Well, I, you know, if they were, they always start with defining media literacy about, you know, the ability to access and analyze and evaluate and create and then act using all forms of communication, not any just one. But I, I think that drilling down into that in, in this grid that they came up with in terms of analyzing the media messages of, you know, who made this? Why was it made? You know, what's missing from this message? Um, who might interpret this differently or um, who might benefit from this message? Are there, you know, follow the money trail? <laughs> Is it a corporation that wants you to buy something, you know? Um, who might be harmed by this message? Is it a is it a cyberbullying kind of thing where you you know it's seeding something that you um, maybe shouldn't share and all those kind of uh, inputs, so to speak, really force kids to think about their responses, the messages, the meanings, um, and the representation. Uh, in my larger lens, I, I like to just think of if I could do one thing, it would be to explain to them that media is a construct. And no matter what is being served up at them, it is clearly constructed, even my book. And so I took that media messages um, grid that they had, for instance, and I put my own books through it. It's like, all right, let's do it with me. Let's do it with digital dogs. You know, who wrote this? Why did they write it? Why did it need to? Why did it need to happen? Who might benefit from this? You know, I went through the whole thing and I'll I'll send you that for show notes. You can maybe post it as a show and tell. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's just, I think it, it drives the point home of why we need to ask that. Um, it's not just to follow the money trail, but that's a big thing. Um, I'm finding one of the things with educators is they'll take a statistic or they'll take a piece of information and cite it without even saying their own critical thinking. They need to be able to say, okay, who was that source? Was that source credible? You know, where did that come from? Um what was the methodology used? You know, have you researched the researchers? Because right now, 
we're seeing this everywhere. The, the disinformation as well as the misinformation is, is predominant. And I think we, we really need to, to give a, a closer look to this, whether it's talking about vaccine hesitancy and, you know, variants and things like that, or the political spectrum and the partisanship, you know, it doesn't matter what the topic is, kids need to be inoculated with how to hear those messages and filter them through their, their own ears and be able to respond accordingly. Oh, that's so powerful. I mean, there, there's a, without going too far into this, there was a whole bunch of books uh, a bunch of years ago that, uh, um, and one of my, when I was a principal, one of my English teachers introduced me to that were all about how, uh, how, what the questions should be asked by the person who's reading the statistics. And it was so cool because, you know, it was basically saying, here's real stats put out there by these sources in the media. Now, these are the questions you should be asking before you go, oh, that's good information. And, you know, and I th that was so powerful. That, uh, I, it was just awesome series of books. Well, along with that same stuff, like you were just saying a minute ago, the other thing is, is this a valid source? <laughs> and one of the things that's crazy today is that because of, now I'm not saying anything against self-publishing, that's not my point. <laughs> my point is though, is that there are people who cite themselves and they think that's good credibil credibility. And it's like, you just cited yourself. What the, you know, it's, sorry, I'm a, uh, it, you know, I'm a former history teacher. I have degrees in history. I did all this research on researchers and, and all that sort of stuff. Just like you were talking about researching in your, in your uh, news media world. It's like, you know, one of the things you, you work on is you try and find those people who really are the, 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 the people who are thought of as the real good source of information. And uh, usually that's not yourself. <laughs> exactly. So. And, and even among thought leaders, you know, it, it's, it's not just, it's not just that, or even the source from a credibility standpoint with um, the slants of media, the bias in media, you know, it, it doesn't matter who the source is. It can be a large mainstream media outlet, but you need to understand what they tend to skew uh, do they skew in one direction or another? You need to be able to factor in bias. And to me, this the earlier we can teach this with kids um, about bias, and you can use fun little exercises, you know, even going back to the, the blue eyes, brown eyes thing, you know, about bias and trying to teach some of those really basic um, you know, activities um, and, and, you know, I spy with my eye, you know, different types of media so that they understand that. Or I have an exercise on bias having to do with a blink, you know, making a sort of spins off the Malcolm Gladwell book, um, talking about how you judge and you blink immediately um, and make a judgment about something and you can be dead wrong. And so it's really fun in my mind to play games with the kids to turn them into sort of data detectives and they they see it's more of a show and tell. They see how, oh, you know, <laughs> I get that. I mean, even something like emojis, you know, if you click on an emoji, it's like, well, which, which world did you pick? Is it the one that shows from the U.S. perspective? Um, why didn't you pick the one that, that leads with Africa first or Australia first? You know, even the emojis you pick are based on your worldview. And everything is, is a construct. It's interpreted. You know, in Europe, would they pick a different emoji to represent if you're making a statement about global health, for instance, what emoji did they pick to represent the globe? These are little tiny things that kids start to think about going, ah, you know, and looking around their classroom and noticing these things. It's, it's really important to get them inquiring with curiosity early and often. 
Oh yeah, so important because if if you just walk through taking it at face value, so many times that's exactly what somebody they want you to do, and it's not. It, it's you got to ask. There's questions you got to ask, which you get into, which I love that because you know, and through cute little dogs. <laughs> so I think that's that's kind of it's kind of neat there. So good stuff. You know, the first book. Speaking of cute little dogs, the first book in the series is called "The Secret of the Vanishing Bones: Tracking the Data Trail." I love the illustrations in the story. Uh, can you share with the listeners a tidbit of the storyline, as well as what the goal is when the kids read your, your, your book? Uh, sure. I mean, the first one, I, I actually wrote it, um, not to give out any spoilers on the end, but I wanted to create something that talked about uh, paw prints being left behind and decided that I would structure the whole series where there were three takeaways in each book um, from a tech perspective so that educators could then say, okay, did you find this? Did you find that? <laughs> Your basic bullet points. But what I also found, again, with my focus groups is that isn't necessarily what the kids focused on. I mean, no matter how much I tried to uh, guide them in that direction, sometimes they take something completely different away. And I would go, oh, okay, that's interesting. They took away social emotional learning or something about you know, how that dog was profiled or how that dog was judged based on what it looked like, you know, or whatever the case may be. And I thought that was just as interesting. Um, one of the things one of the teachers said to me is, is, you know, you really put 10 pounds in a five pound sack. You tried to like cram the kitchen sink in there. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's my first one. So I was, I was doing a little bit of beta testing to kind of see which things the kids responded to. And I did find that, you know, social emotional learning was just as important, um, creating empathy for some of the characters. There's a stray dog, for instance, and, um, and even the, the big reveal at the end, um, it, it makes a statement about data not necessarily being good or bad, but it's how it's used. It can be used to track things for good. It can be used for public health. It can be used to um, find out where the disasters are, or the, the fires or ways out of things, you know, and, and mapping and um, things like that. So it's to challenge the kids to see on all sides. It's not meant to be any kind of a fear-based um, beware kind of message. It's more about um, how do we deliver the data in a way that you're aware of your own personal um, digital footprint, but also um, how data can be used in positive ways as well as negative ways. Oh, that's awesome. And it, it, you do a good job with that. I'm looking forward to the next book. We got, uh, <laughs> um, it's, you know, cause it's, it's something that, uh, it, and it's, you know, adults do the same thing. So, you know, one of the things that scares me a little bit is the, you know, you kind of touched on this just a minute ago is the idea that, uh, um, and scare is not the right word, but, uh, little obnoxious with technology, the idea that you would walk into a store and if you're carrying your phone, it would identify what you bought last time and uh, and start showing you things that uh, you might want to buy this time that go along with that. And I think that's a little out there. And uh, But it talks about those paw prints that you've left in different places that allow them to know that. And, you know, with the advent of these little stores that uh, you wouldn't deal with cash, you would just deal with uh, what's in your I started to say, what's in your wallet? <laughs> it is. It's a digital wallet. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, we have, uh, and, and I just envisioned the, the store saying, hey, look, everybody, it's Steve. Steve, last time when you were here, you bought the following things. We're wondering if this time you might like to buy. And it's like, yeah, that's a 
little too obnoxious for me, but it's it's all because not even knowing that you, you know, by visiting their website or or using you know the phone while you're there that you might have been doing stuff like that. And these are real things that they're looking at you doing. It's like, oh, oh absolutely. Gosh. And and in fact, that's one of the of the three takeaways in the first book. Um, the first one is about tracking and and the devices and and how the collar on the puppies, uh, you know, it was then it was purposely there to, in case she got lost, to be able to find her way home. But what other things are tracking you? I mean, like you said, the receipts at the grocery store, the, um, the Fitbit, if you wear a, a fitness monitor, the, the phone itself is a master tracking device. And, you know, the web, the phone, everything you click on, um, those are all things that we need to make kids aware of. Um, early and often the school, even the school has tons of apps that they use, you know, how are those apps integrated? Um, they could have like the bus schedule or the, the lunch schedule or whatever. And next thing you know, you know, they may not be leaking that data out elsewhere, but the third party apps that they're connected with do. So I think one of the things that parents and educators need to be looking at is, you know, who, who in those apps, and particularly the ones that have Facebook or Google involved, um, there are so many third parties that get involved in that information sharing that they need to be aware um, it's not just the app itself, it's who it's being sold to. And I think that's, it's, it's kind of a lot to put into a, a concept <laughs> for really young kids, but I think just something as simple as um, the tracking device and the collar, I think, was a was an obvious one. And then, of course, sharing. The second one was about uh, data sharing, how the, the owner of the dog kept taking puppy pictures and uploading them to Facebook or whatever. Um, well, what's in that picture? You know, does it show the school colors? Does it show the mascot? Does it show the teams? You know, what does that tell you about your environment? Or in this case, in the book story, where were the bones, the missing bones? Are you giving little tidbits along the way of where, where they could have buried the bones? Um, those are the kind of things by turning it into a mystery, it makes it not scary. It just becomes sort of a, huh, well, who else could have found that information out, you know, by, by sharing, as we call it, you know, <laughs> sharing too much, you know, information, you may not have posted it, but did your friend, did your teacher, did they take a picture of the classroom doing a, a project and everybody was working away and they wanted to show off how busy everyone was. Okay. So they know exactly, you know, where you were place and time. And then the, the, the third one was talking about algorithms a little bit where the puppy is, um, they already knew what puppy chow it liked and, you know, what flavor and when it was going to be delivered and all that. So that um, the culprit could, could swipe it before it even uh, hit the, the doorstep. Um, and that, kind of feeds in, alludes to smart speakers and, and why. But again, not in a scary way, but more of a aha moment. Um, and I won't give away the spoiler and the reveal, but it, it does have to do with the fact that it wasn't, um, wasn't necessarily even digital, much less uh, data. <laughs> but it's, it, it kind of gives you a, a loop at the end that, that goes, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming, which is kind of fun about it. Very much so. I mean, you get into some stuff that's, it's not heavy handed. You're not sitting there preaching to people, but it's uh, to the kids, but it's, you know, what's interesting is just simply some of that stuff, like, uh, you know, the idea that other people could be sharing. So for example, you're with, you know, one of the things that always amazes me is that uh, how much stuff people put out there on Facebook or whatever about their vacations. <laughs> and I, and I don't mean after the fact, I mean, before the fact. And, right. and so then what, that part of your story made me think about is the people who, 
you know, who, you know, they're not doing it, but they happen to be with friends or the kids with another friend. And they're saying, here we are. And, you know, in lovely Daytona Beach, Florida, and, uh, and uh, you know, and uh, having a good old time. And don't you guys wish you were here with us at Daytona Beach at staying at the following place, you know, whatever. And they, they give all this information that, uh, and, and that's where my brain went with that part was the, the types of sharing that others do about you <laughs> that might be given Absolutely. that away. So. And, and also just that they don't, you know, the parents sometimes get very proud of their kids and they'll overshare, you know, them getting an award or they kicked a great goal or whatever. Well, that goal is showing the school colors or the soccer team or the this and that. You can tell exactly what school they go to with a few clicks around. Um, I did take a, an incredible investigative journalism um, class recently with, and it's free, All any educator or parent or whatever can take it, um, having to do with misinformation and disinformation and how you find and evaluate some of this stuff and where it leaks and how to, how to source it. And boy, the granularity of, of understanding what can be found with um, some of the exercises they'd give us, they'd say, okay, here's a picture of um, pre and post hurricane, you know, and, and things would look totally different, but we'd have to find the coordinates of exactly where in the world that was taken. And you could eventually figure it out of exactly where that data came from um, and, and sourcing it down to the, down to the last little Nat's eyebrow. <laughs> it was fascinating. So if you can do that with, obviously that's a, a heavier duty case, but with kids, you can do that very unintentionally from birthday parties to, um, you know, personally identifiable information. If they take nothing else away from the book, something as simple as, whoop, there's a digital dog. Um, <laughs> to not, uh, not, for instance, uh, take a picture of your dog's phone number. And, you know, you, when you have a, a missing dog and a dog tag with a phone number, um, that can be reverse phone searched and you can find exactly where the owner lives and, and drop a, drop a, data point there. So those are, are little tiny things, pinging off of cell towers, things like that, that I think parents overlook. They just see the convenience and they just kind of hear, hush up for a while, take the phone, play for a while. <laughs> yeah. So they need to to be aware as well. It's so important. So important. And I love that you, you get into this in a, in a nice way where it's, uh, you know, kids going to be able to figure out the message and uh, that you want them to figure out there um, and why it's some of the stuff's not good. You got to be aware of it. So yeah, great stuff. I mean, you also have a parent and educator guide. Could you talk about why this, why you developed this resource as well? Yeah, I, I think the parent and educator guide for me, the whole point of the book was not to be just a buy the book, let the kid read it and let it sink in. It was meant to be um, a co-viewing and a co-reading and, and an uncorker of conversation, so to speak, an icebreaker. And whether it's with a sibling or whether it's with a parent or an educator or whatever, I really feel that the, the main activities that you can take out of this and ways to play it out are just as important as the little nuggets in the book. It's, it's just using the story as an easy way to springboard into deeper conversations about media. And it can be about anything about how the media was constructed. It can be about a commercial. It can be about um, a t-shirt that's being worn. It's, it can be about um, the influencers or the belief systems or the values, you know, what's being imparted. I think the, the parent and educator guide was, I created it to basically make it easy and turnkey for educators to be able to download it for free 
on digitaldogsbook.com to be able to open up conversations. I, I also, some of the educators said, you know, we're, we're not going to necessarily need to print out all of this. Can you just give it to me in a paperback so that I can keep it? And then, cause some of these activities are very useful far beyond the book. And so I said, sure. Yeah, I can put it up on Amazon, but of course, Amazon then charges for it. So my, my nugget to you for any educators out there is it's free on digitaldogsbook.com. But if you want the print version, it is in paperback. I think it's like six ninety nine or whatever, just to cover costs on Amazon, the parent and educator piece. Um, and that actually uses some of the activities. There are about a dozen of them in there. Um, like you just said, the receipts, um, a take home project about um, what is, what are the receipts? Is it for the same item? Is it, are they trying to recommend different items? You know, start watching and making this a little field trip, a scavenger hunt every time you go to the store. Um, I mean, I had my parents staying with me for a while and I started getting receipts, um, asking if I wanted prunes and asking if I wanted, you know, depends and this and that. I'm like, okay, uh, not my demographic, but okay. You know, and it just shows you how quickly the data will adapt to whoever is in your household, whoever is buying something. Um, and I think that alone is something that the kids would love to play games with. Well, like, let's see what we can make the data do. And they can see how they can use it um, as well as uh, finding out how the, the data is using them. I think that's pretty key. Very important. And, you know, and it's, it's information that, uh, you know, it's having been a history teacher i at uh you know you, there are social studies uh, concepts that are taught typically in lots of classes where you know everything from map reading to understanding charts and graphs and things like this and uh this adds a whole new level that need to be added to that of uh, concepts and and skills that need to be taught which are those about interpreting uh you know what it's telling you or what it might tell others based upon what information you're, you're feeding it. You know, it's one of the, the, the big things, you know, everybody wants a survey, you know, you, you do an app, you know, you do a, you want to get some rewards from some fast food restaurant, whatever it is, you know, they're going to at some point, they're going to send you a survey and those surveys are quite interesting. I mean, you know, the ones that are just very straightforward about, do you like the sandwich? You, today you had this sandwich <laughs> and this is a new sandwich. Do you like this sandwich or do you not like the sandwich? That's a little different than the ones that then get into other things about their restaurant or whatever. And then I'm picking on restaurants because it's, it's everywhere out there, <laughs> the different stuff where they seem simple surveys. <laughs> well, exactly. And I, I think that that's, um, even if we can kind of train kids really early on, I, I don't, uh, I, again, for, for free information, like the coloring book, I had one of them, the dog is holding its hand up, you know, saying before you hand over your data, you know, whether it's a game or an app or a school form, even, you know, ask yourself, why, why is my contact information needed? You know, um, who's asking for it? Is it a trusted source? You know, how will it be used? Um, do I have any control over it? Um, will my data be sold? You know, those are things that, that the parents should be asking for, for certain as, as should the educators but I am jumping straight to the kids themselves because the kids to me are not always going to be supervised. You can't have a tech solution to this where, you know, a lot of the parents will say, well, I'm just going to lock down this and that and the other and turn off 
you know, ban this and shut down that. And it's like, well, that again, you need to be able to understand how the tracking occurs. If what, let's make it into more of a game so that the kids understand how they're being served this information and the, and the various algorithms. Um, so even, I don't know if, if you got to go to the website, but I have like little, um, they can, they can scan their phone over a QR code that awesome, basically shows what site at any time is tracking you. It could be Disney or Sony or, you know, anybody that you, you like, and it just shows how many trackers are on there. Where did they come from? Um, who's serving you that data? And that's a, um, project of a, of a, the markup group. I think it is. It's, um, it's, it's an excellent resource and it's really fun because the kids get to use whatever source they're looking at. Um, and same with, with trying to understand what media even is, you know, is it, is it a stop sign? Is it a, um, is it a, a human billboard as I call them, you know, the, the various brands, you know, you're walking around with media on you. I can't tell you how many young K through five kids I'd have saying, Oh, I'm not influenced by media at all. <laughs> uh, not at all. As they're wearing a, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, <laughs> right, whatever right. the, you know, the, daily you know logo du jour is but um it's it's just important for them to understand um and and use some of the the activities in a in a fun way to be able to impart it so that they can they can use them continually again yeah you have a lot of great resources on that website which is really cool and uh and and just as no one knows about them i mean it's it's interesting because the educators you know, these people spend tons of times with games. Like in, in the UK, they have these fabulous privacy practices and games. And it's like, kids would love this to give little little data nuggets of, of playing these games. But no one I know in the US even knows it exists. You know, so I think to your issue of why did you do this? It's to unlock that information for educators. So they go like, oh, okay, this is a cheat sheet. This gives me everything I need wow, this is great. It's like a whole different curriculum um, to be able to use, like if you have five minutes or if you have one minute, it's like here, you know, toss in this little game or this little nugget to get them starting to think critically. So important, so important. And that's, uh, and it's, and it's cool because you get into all this stuff that it's, there it is right there for people to use to help the, the teachers or educators or uh, parents to use with their kids to help them understand. There's so much out there that, uh, you know, that uh, we need to learn. And it's funny because a lot of adults, you know, we don't understand or we don't know. And, you know, I, I joke from time to time that uh, before the pandemic, it, when I went to do an interview with uh, someone who was in my age bracket or higher, um, and I sent them a Skype link, I usually would get an email going, well, can't we just talk on the phone? <laughs> and I go, you know, it's like, okay, yes, but can we, can I show you how to do this? And, and Skype was not the most fun to use in the first place anyway. So, so then someone introduced me to, to Zoom, by the way, this is not product placement. This, <laughs> this show is not sponsored by Zoom, but I, I think it's awesome what it, what's happened. And if there's any positive out of this, um, I'm no longer embarrassed by my age group or higher because they, they pretty much, you send them a zoom link and they go, yeah, I know how to use this. You know, we're good. But right before all this stuff, there was, I had any number of them going, can we just use the phone, you know, <laughs> or, or right. please explain this to me. And, and I, I just think that's interesting, but it's, you know, it's the same sort of thing here is that they need to take time to do those worksheets themselves to understand it, you know, <laughs> and then exactly. and then share them with the kids. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and actually I think that's a really important point that, 
we always assume that the teachers or the educators know what they're doing. Um, they don't necessarily and on some of these levels of, of information. And particularly, you know, it's not an age thing. I mean, I'm certainly older and I'm, I'm digital uh, as a digital native. My daughter is she comes to me for some of this, this data where, you know, I am, I am an anomaly in that regard. So it's, and she's the one that would prefer to meet in person or, or whatever. Whereas online, that's my sphere. I can uh, navigate that no problem. So I, I just think we need to ditch some of the stereotypes and the preconceived notions about what is and isn't um, from, from a, a learning perspective. Makes perfect sense. So, so I got to ask you this as we're shifting forward. I mean, what's the next book going to be about? You got one coming soon? I do. Um, and I'm actually, I would love some input from educators and from parents to find out which of, which of these three topics I should jump on the first, because I'm going to do all of them. But I, I think that, um, right now in this era, the misinformation and disinformation is so strong that the algorithmic, uh, bias is is a really key interest area to me i think kids understand that they're they're going down rabbit holes sometimes but they don't quite know how they got there and i think that understanding um misinformation and disinformation is really key and the bias that goes into coding and some of those things and the other thing is smart speakers i think the alexa and voice driven you know voice prints and things like that is it's um definitely up and coming um, and, and like media literacy wise, you can um, just do little fun exercises with Alexa and Cortana and Google or any smart speaker device and, and ask it for input and then see how the input differs among devices, you know, and just, just to start driving home that same point, um, change the question slightly and then see what it serves you. Um, is that speaker male or female? Do they have an accent? What, what did you decide? You know, all those things. You know, we, we bring in gender, we bring in um, a variety of expectations into this experience. And so I think the more we can get kids thinking about it critically is, is key. Um, the algorithms particularly are of interest to me because I think it can narrow kids' um, interest areas. You know, if you keep clicking on something, you see this with gamers a lot too. They, they're playing one game and then it keeps serving them other games, which also goes into the addictive quality, but that's a different story. Um, I think that if you, if you like puppies, for instance, my, I, I do, and thus the, I am a big dog fan. I get served dogs constantly on TikTok because I am a dog fan. Well, you know, I love dogs, but I also love, you know, horses and birds and wildlife and things like that. But it's got me pigeonholed in dogs now. So That's no funny. matter what I do, it takes me down the dog trail. So you have to almost purposely zing it in a different direction to see, you know, who, who else is playing with my phone. <laughs> you can, you can do that as well, where you can change your Netflix uh, recommendations and show kids how, um, how quickly it starts to profile you. And, you know, if you're doing all Marvel cartoons and that kind of thing, how it's serving you that, and then you suddenly go to documentaries, it's like, is this the same person or is this a different person? And it'll try to figure it out. So I think those kind of lessons help the kids figure out exactly how that data is being mined, which is really important for them for media literacy. Very much so. Just a side note, you know, you're in a couple of those uh, movie apps, all that sort of stuff. You know, you watch 
two old westerns, and suddenly it thinks that oh, this guy, the only thing he wants is something that uh, is, is from the West and old. You know, it's like, what the heck? What's, all of a sudden, that's all my choices. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on, come on. And I just thought that was hilarious because I'm like, my, yeah, it's like, really? That's that nice. That's right. <laughs> and, it's narrow casting. It can narrow cast you. And, and you know, on the other hand, it can, I, I used to have a T-shirt that um, I created that said, don't let the media define you before you define yourself. And it's because it really can it can you know you like that brand let me give you more of that brand more 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 and let, let me give you a brand that's kind of like that you know and and then the next thing you know you're that's all you have is that one look or that one style and that takes a lot of your your uh flair out you know kids are just discovering who they are and, and exploring in adolescence you know all their different identities we don't need that narrow cast right now we need to be able to be open to all kinds of interests and algorithms and whether you like puppies or dogs or whatever, you know, you need to be able to find your interest areas without some tool trying to feed it to you. And kids don't like to be told what to do. They, that's, that's the key thing with a lot of the games that I play is um, I, I basically counter market. I use the concept of how they're using that and to lift and reveal. I use that with teenagers doing the, the vape um, issue, for instance, it's like, all right, you know, vaping is really big. Let's let's look behind the scenes of vaping. Who's who's behind that? And let's start connecting those dots of, um, you know, why do you think Altria, you know, the uh, the big tobacco owns the vaping companies now, Juul and, and some of the biggies. And let's look beyond that. Let's look at, you know, how they're advertising that and on and on it goes. Was it really for smoking sensation or cessation or is it really more about um, hook them while they're young and get a new, new, um, new audience, you know, and then kids get pretty emphatic. They don't like to be played. And I think that's the the biggest thing that from a teaching tool that I love to use is uh, the lift and reveal under the carpet of what's going on behind the scenes. Cause they love knowing the, the dirt. They want to know what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's a, you know, junk food. Uh, oh gosh, for a while there, it was, it was, pounding Gatorade. My daughter was an athlete and, and they were constantly pushing Gatorade. It's like, well, Gatorade's fine, you know, from a, a quench thir- thirst quenching thing, but you really don't need that. That's a bunch of extra salt and sugar and all that. If, if you're, unless you're running a marathon or doing, you know, a tour de France, um, you don't need that intensity um, from a, from a sweat perspective. So, giving them that data again of, of realizing that water would, would do just as well. And even flavored waters, if you, if you're trying to get them to drink more um, starts to lift and reveal what the agenda is of trying to get you to drink X, Y, Z versus another, and then being aware of what's being advertised to them in schools, you know, whether it's, um, you know, sponsored by sometimes you see the football teams have a, a Coke or a Pepsi side, you know, it's like, which school owns that, you know, they own the rights to that. And they're, they're auctioning off those digital rights, you know, to your brain. And when kids start seeing that and critically thinking about that, um, they are empowered. They're the ones that are like, yeah, no, you don't own me. I, I decide what I want. It's an interesting world. And then this is, this is, uh, it's all this stuff that, uh, and as a kid, you, you, it's really important that you figure it out. Whereas, you know, it, it, we, 
we could have easily waited a few years before uh, we had to figure that stuff out, but because uh, it wasn't so in your face, but now it's just so much there, and it's you know it's it's at any number of levels. And just as a side note, I have to say this: you're talking about voices and choices with the the different stuff, like with the smart speakers. One of the things I love is that you know there's different apps for the uh, for directions, which you know as as a as a device that can help. <laughs> which I'll never forget when I first got my first smartphone. And I was walking around, uh, I got lost walking around a, a very large city and I went, oh yeah, I got a, I got a phone on me. It can show me where I am and where I can go to. That was cool until I started thinking, I wonder who else can see this. You know, it's like, oh, nice. We, anyway, but the, the, the funny thing I think with some of the apps is that like, I've learned that my favorite voice is Cookie Monster. I can have Cookie Monster give me directions. Turn left at light. Oh, me like cookies. <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty cool when I had Mr. T also, except that he's scary. All of a sudden he'd go, hi, pitiful fool. <laughs> and it was just like, holy crud, he'd come out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, anyway, the, uh, but it's, it's funny how we can change all those voices. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I have a, a, the Australian one. I have a, I call him my bossy Aussie and he gets on and says, turn, turn right at the corner or whatever. And he's, but it's just amusing because it reminds me that this is a contrived uh, setting that this this is this is not a normal turn device. This is someone that I have programmed in there to tell me these these things. So that's that's awesome. By the way, as a, as a side note, by the way, one of the things I was I, I like is that a lot of times those voices are sponsored by somebody. Oh yes, <laughs> there's there's Absolutely. some companies on. I, I forget Mr. T. I think it was co- sponsored by a Coca Cola product. Uh, um, you know, and I, I I have to mention something else that was interesting that you're talking about. You're talking about the Gatorade thing. I mean, my favorite are, and once again, when I mention this product, it's, I'm not sponsored by them, nor, nor am I attacking them, but I'm always curious about the red, you know, Red Bull and products like Red Bull that are, you know, um, and if, if you watch the commercials, they're usually cartoons. Um, and I'm just like, what, what, is, what, what message are we sending here? And it, and it basically is, if you drink me, you will go faster. <laughs> Yes. Well, and, and look at the demographics, you know, why cartoons? Why are they dialing that down so low? Um, we, we saw this going on. I, I did a, a counter marketing thing with energy drinks actually, because it was, we were, it was back when they were first coming out and just blitzing the market. And a lot of the middle schoolers were pounding these energy drinks and having heart attacks on the football field. You know I mean? It's like, you, you need to be aware of what this stuff is is for and what it can do to you as well. Um, and because the, and they were giving away freebies and freebies are a big thing, you know, and they were hitting right outside middle school. They'd come by with the Red Bull truck and the whole thing. And it's like, yes, they're seeding market interest there, but, and they're trying to get it young, but they're also not aware that these kids can and will um, try to use it in, if, if it's just a little bit, well, more is probably better. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, no, it's not. No, it's not, not with this. So, you know, we, we loved doing a bunch of counter marketing on some of that. I, I did one with, um, the teachers got very upset with me, but uh, I did one with Windex um, using the bright blue of the neon drinks with a, um, a sports drink, I guess it was. And I, I literally think the the big thing with kids is to get them to say it, not you, you know, you can't be a teacher, can't be a parent. They need to come to the um, realization on their own. So I had poured uh, what looked like Windex into a cup as well as, you know, some of this bright blue um, 
again, looks like solvent. And I said, let's take a swig. You know, which one of you is like, well, I'm not going to take that. I don't know. And eventually they would get to the point of, I'm not going to do that. I don't know what I'm putting in my body. And it's like, exactly. You don't know what you're putting in your body. So you need to be able to, this was for a class that I did on nutrition labels and, and um, understanding what was in the actual drinks and, and um, the kids, it's even, even the, the rebellion, you know, a lot of times they'll market rebellion as a key adolescent um, trigger, which it is, it's a big motivation. And to get them to start thinking that way, it's like, oh, and yeah, my mom says I can't have that. And I, so of course I'm going to have it, you know, the first time I'm at And I said, uh-huh. And who do you think seeded that? Who do you think tried to get you to think that way? And, then, you know, connect all the dots where they end up doing the lift and reveal that it's actually the corporation using that emotional trigger. And they get that aha moment of like, oh, I was played. They hate being played, hate being played. <laughs> so... And that that does more for counter marketing than anything to be able to to use that media literacy in fun in fun ways. This is awesome stuff. I I, I could, I could uh, pick your brain about this stuff for a long time. I, I sorry to keep you going here. I got you know one of the things, but I'm learning so much. I mean, and this is and I and I hope to that uh, maybe at the end we can remind uh, people about uh, that you would like their feedback on a couple of those topics. There's a possibility down the the road. So let's keep that in mind. You you know, uh, one of the things I want to make sure I point out is you're the founder of shapingyouth.org. Could you talk about its mission real quick? Well, again, I I think being a media person all my life, I I came back full circle, started with journalism, went on to advertising. And therefore I I understand both sides of that persuasion and motivation cycle. Um, And I thought it was really by, in my best interest from a media literacy perspective to use those, um, tools to, to teach kids about their triggers and their emotional um, connectivity with all this so that they understand um, if something upsets them very much, very quickly, et cetera, there's usually a trigger. There's a reason for that, right? And it's, they're hitting you before you post that or share that or whatever. And you go, oh, I can't believe that happened. You know, and the next thing you know, they're, they're sharing it. It's like, whoop, hold, hold, pause. Think about this for a minute. Let's dial that back. Who, who stimulated that response in you? Think about that. It's almost a neuroscience perspective. And I think um, Shaping Youth was really to create more counter-marketing and understanding the media literacy behind it so that they would um, understand their own behaviors and uh, pause a minute before they act upon them. I didn't, I didn't set out to be a full tilt media and digital literacy, but it turned out that way. And, and I'm happy it did. Uh, the, the books are just an adjunct of that. I think Shaping Youth for over 10 years, I, I was blogging on all these different issues and blogs sort of went by the wayside and went towards Twitter. And on Twitter, I do a lot of posting and curation at Shaping Youth. So I have my little Twitter desk there, um, which is short form for sure. But again, um, kids like to digest this information fast and quick and with links and things like that. So um, Shaping Youth is still alive and well, um, and I do post a lot of data on there. The educators are who love Shaping Youth. They're the ones that get the deep dives there. It's more of a TED Talk on paper. You know, you can nice. really dive in there and get the analysis going. Um, the kids, actually, I've gotten a few really good feedback um, 
pivots from from kids on student voice as well. They're like, oh, you helped me with my research paper because I just I could see all of that there. That one did it on Juul, for instance, on the vaping. And she's like, oh, that was all that data in one place. It was just great to be able to I said, well, I, yeah, you need to kind of find that out on your own too. It's just, but it's it's fun to be able to um, to teach about that. It's to try to change the channel of influence to a healthier view for kids. Awesome. And then there's so much information at your website. I could, I could see kids going, this is cool. I've, I'm going to start citing this website here. So good stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, lots of other information and projects and um, stuff that you got going on there. So, you know, Amy, we're getting ready to close. If someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Well, definitely shapingyouth.org. Um, but for the, the Digital Dogs book, um, I would definitely go to digitaldogsbook.com. And again, there's lots of freebies there, the, the coloring pages and the parent educator guide, things like that. Um, and I'm going to start blogging there more too with the digital dogs. I want to start deconstructing my own work. Like how did that cover come to be? You know, what color is that cover? Why did I choose those colors? Look at the expression of the dog, all that stuff. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes so that uh, people can go back and find and go to uh, um, go to the digital dogs as well as to those resources as well as to shapingyouth.org. So great stuff. Hey, before we go, I got two more questions for you that I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when there's so much going on that you may want to quit? I keep seeing how much work we have to do out there. That's how. Uh, I see on Twitter alone um, everything that needs to be uh, <laughs> counter-marketed or, in, in this case, just lift and revealed. So, yes, it's, it, it's churn and burn. There's a lot, of, a lot of data that needs to be deconstructed for kids. So, so much so. Oh, my gosh, so much so. And the last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? <laughs> I'm going to go in a different direction here. I'm going to say not thank you. I had a teacher that uh, that taught me a lot in in how not to do things. Um, he was a math teacher in middle school, and he tried to humiliate me, have me come up to the board to solve something, and um, kept saying, you know, you learned this last year. Come on, this methodology we learned last year. And I wanted to go, clown, I, w- I, I lived overseas last year. I had nothing to do with this. You know, we were in a whole different environment. Um, I lived in Japan at the time. So I, I think those kind of lessons, um, you couldn't talk back to the teacher and say, you know, not me, you're making the wrong assumptions. But what that taught me was don't assume that kids are at the same level, whether it's digital literacy or media literacy or or any of these life lessons, don't assume, oh, because you're young, you understand this, or you understand the digital, you know, protections, etc. Um, and, and conversely, just because you're old, don't assume that you don't. Um, people are multifaceted, and their homes, their schools, their backgrounds, their environmental influences are all over the board. So that's what I learned. And I take that with me every time I work with kids, like, where is their frame of reference? Let's find out about this child a little bit. You know, one of the digital dogs ones, just real quick, uh, you know, <laughs> they they said something about um, the the mom with the puppies. Um, it's like, well, where's the dad? You know, something like that. And it just stopped me cold. It's like, I didn't even think that anybody would pick up on that. It's like, where's the dad? Did the dad get shot? 
I was like, whoa, shot, where is this coming from? Well, that kid was in an inner city school in a place where a lot of the dads didn't make it, you know, that kind of thing. So understand where the kids are coming from and what touch points they're, they're taking away. Don't make assumptions. Awesome advice. Awesome advice. It, Amy, thanks so much for talking with me today. Love the focus of digital dogs. The messaging in the first book, The Secret of the Vanishing Bones, tracking the data trail is wonderful and one that will help kids understand more about questions they should be asking about the technology they're using and and uh, what that, what they're telling the people who, who put that technology out there or are asking for that data. You know, keep up the awesome work. Wishing the best in all you do. Thanks so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.